Day two at Photokina. Alvaro, you've been out and about. It is now the evening. Tell us what happened today. I, I, I don't really know which time it is anymore. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's it's dark outside. So I'm going to say it's it's late. So anyway, um, yeah, it's been a busy day. I got to try some of the Sony lenses I couldn't try the other day. Uh, and uh, I have some very mixed feelings about those. Uh-oh. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to be... Yeah, I'm... I was thinking of you all the time, Josh, because the 50 millimeter f1.4, the new one, is terrible. Like, I actually think there was something wrong with the lens because it just took forever to focus. It hunted all the time, even in good light. Wait, is this the macro? It was just unusable. No, 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 the size one. Oh, okay, sorry. The f1.4. Really? Yeah. I was really, really surprised. And I tried changing the aperture. I tried... Uh, putting the camera on shutter priority. I tried a bunch of things and nothing could get it to work properly. I really think there was something wrong with that lens because if that's the real world performance, we should have seen that on every review because it's just unusable. Wow. So I don't know. But really? Yeah. And well, it wouldn't be the first case that time that uh, for, it wouldn't be the first time that we've caught somebody not telling the whole truth about a Sony lens in the last few months. Yeah, I guess. I guess. And then the <laughs> I also use the 85GM, which is a lens that I know has been on your radar for quite some time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I've also been pretty disappointed with the AF performance, to be honest, especially the eye autofocus. It just takes forever to lock on, if it does lock on at all. I mean, what body? Most of the time. It, and I use an R2. Okay. And this was, a sep- this was a different camera than the one... From the other with the other lens, you know, each lens was attached to a different camera, but they were all A7R two. So theoretically, this would have been like the best possible performance for those particular lenses. Yeah, because the autofocus system on the A7R two is supposed to be incredibly good. Right. I mean, the only thing that should be better is the A7, the A6300. But then you get a bunch of compromises in terms of image quality because you're using a full frame lens on a on an APS-C body and. Yeah, no, it no, doesn't no. really work yeah. that well. That's really genuinely surprising, though. I mean, I I would have expected, especially because those are. That's why I asked if it was the macro fifty that was uh, that was underperforming because that one I you know whatever it just came out of nowhere. But right. a, a Zeiss fifty should be amazing on on every level. That's kind of the the expectation. It was very surprising to me, so that's why I, I'm trying to make it a point to say, take this with a grain of salt because it could very well be that the lens was faulty. Right. But if it wasn't, I'd be worried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. Bu- I wouldn't buy that lens at all. No, this isn't helping at all with the whole like debate that's raging in between my ears right now. It's gonna rage in between all of our listeners' ear too, because we're gonna talk about it for the next thirty to forty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Not fair. Um, this is our <laughs> this is our micro four thirds episode. So yesterday's episode, we we focused on Sony's announcements. Today, we're talking about Panasonic's and Olympus's um, and some others as well. Uh, and then tomorrow is going to be the uh, the great Fuji announcement. Um, so that's oh, he leads with great. Oh no, not biased at all. At all, no, no. <laughs> well, it is big. It yeah, is actually big, a big announcement. Right. Anyhow, so today is uh, today is Micro Four Thirds though, and honestly, this this was uh, probably the category I was most excited about going into Photokina. Um, so maybe we should start with uh, with Panasonic because. They have, I guess, less of a concrete announcement at this point. That's fair to say, right? Right, absolutely. They unveiled the new GH5, which is supposed to be the new flagship for Panasonic. And as you guys know, Panasonic has been more focused on the video side of things, whereas Olympus has typically been more uh, focused on the picture side. Yeah. So this new GH5 brings some pretty interesting features for video. And I'm actually going to let you, Marius go through them because I'm no videographer and I'm not sure I can even say most of these things right. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is that they actually announced basically four details about the camera. That That's essentially all that they're willing to say about it at this point, which leads me to believe that it is early enough in production that a lot of things are still in flux. Um, but what we do know is right. that it has a new sensor. It is now 18 megapixels instead of 16, which is... Uh, I thought it was interesting because I would have expected that it would go up to 20 like uh, like the rest of the more recent Micro Four Thirds bodies. But no, it is 18 megapixels. Um, yeah, that's odd. And Very. it's now capable. I think the, the most important thing 
um, from my perspective is like you said, the, the video functionality and Panasonic is really embracing their, their video first thing. I, I don't even think they mentioned anything that's relevant to photographers. So, um, the headlining feature is that they can now record, um, 10 bit 422 footage internally. Um, and that's something that previously you had to use an external recorder to do. So for example, um, the GH4 is, is our ACAM at the agency. It's what we do most of our filming on. And in order to take advantage of the maximum um, quality footage that we can get out of it, we actually had to purchase a separate external recorder specifically so that we could get 10-bit files out of the camera because the GH4 is, is not capable of recording those onto uh, the built-in SD um interface. Right. So now apparently the GH5 fixes that. We no longer need that separate device at all, which is amazing. Um, now, the only thing is uh, they didn't say anything about the recording time limitations because that might be uh, problematic. Like for now, we can sort of record for an unlimited amount of time on the external recorder until we run out of space. Uh, but if they're doing it internally on the GH5, it may come with certain limits like a uh, maximum of 30 minutes on a clip or something like that, which for us can actually be problematic, um, especially if you're doing corporate videos and things like that, where there are long interview segments, you would be surprised how quickly you chew through 30 minutes uh, of a clip. So Right, but those limitations are usually due to overheating issues, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm hoping that they've addressed that. I, my understanding is that the body is ever so slightly larger, or it, it definitely looks a little bit different in the, in the photos. That was my impression. They didn't have the actual cameras there, but they did have... Uh, uh, actual size uh, mock-ups. Right. So you could see how the camera would look. Uh, they, of course, they wouldn't let you touch them or anything because they were damaged. They, they wouldn't work at all. Yeah. But the camera did look just a little bit bigger than the GH4. Right. And I, I it those can only, the, those differences can only help with the heat dissipation uh, capacity of the camera. So I'm, I'm optimistic about it, actually. I'm, I'm thinking if they're offering the feature internally at all, then they must have addressed the overheating issues. Yeah, and there is another caveat, which is that the internal recording is only 10-bit uh, up to 30 frames per second, uh, which is fine, but it's just something to be aware of. Uh, however, another headlining feature, one of the other things that they, they pointed out is that the GH5 will be capable of 4K at 60 frames per second, um, but unfortunately, it can only do that in 8-bit when recording internally. So my current assumption, they, they haven't confirmed or denied this, but my current assumption is that if you choose to record externally like we do, then you probably get access to 4K at 60 frames per second, and it's still 10-bit footage. So that would be nice, but we don't know. Right. Um, and then the last thing that they mentioned that, uh, frankly, is is kind of useless. I'm not really sure why they're making such a big deal of it. Uh, they're calling it 6K photo mode. Yeah. And if this is like gimmick city, it's it's basically like, oh, we're taking stills from the video, but now they're higher resolution stills than we were doing last year. And this is fantastic. I mean, I don't, I know zero people who've ever used this feature. I can't imagine why it would ever be useful. <laughs> but if this is something that you're excited about, the GH5 now does 6K, which I think is like eight megapixels or something like that. It's, it's yeah, like, something like that. I don't. Why is this exciting? I do Panasonic. You're crazy. Anyway, so that's tell us what you really think. I, well, sorry, but you know this is a camera I'm actually considering, right? Because this is this is the the most natural upgrade for us from the GH4, right. and it sounds like for the things that we're actually concerned about, it is going to be a meaningful upgrade. But unfortunately, at this point, we still have scant details. We don't know, for example, if they've built image stabilization in. Right. We don't know if they've done anything to. Uh, improve the battery life we don't know anything uh, like it's there's a lot of missing details we don't know price we don't know release the rule of thumb in these cases is usually if they haven't bragged about it by now then assume the worst yeah yeah so no improvement in battery life certainly no image stabilization <laughs> they definitely would have bragged about it i would think so, so i'm really not not hoping for that i would think so yeah and as for the 6k photo mode this is just one of those features that somebody said hey we can do it so why not it, it, it takes two seconds to implement it. And so let's do yeah, it. Yeah, they needed a fourth point on the marketing brochure. Yeah, I really don't imagine a bunch of uh, Panasonic engineers spending months developing that feature. And if they spend those months, then boy, they are in trouble. Yeah, I hope they didn't. But anyway, so that's that's the, the body itself. Um, <laughs> but they also announced some lenses and I totally forget what they are. So Alfro, could you remind us? <laughs> well, they are, there are, I believe there are three uh, three zoom lenses, which are all partnered with Leica. Leica is uh, the Micro Four Thirds partner of Panasonic. They design 
uh, lenses together, and I believe the cam- the lenses have to pass certain optical tests that Leica engineers have designed. So it's sort of Leica approved in a way. They're, the lenses are still not made by Leica or anything like that. They are made by Panasonic. Right. So the quality is not just as good. It's not as good as the actual Leica glass for the M system, for example. But it has a similar look, a similar design. And these have been very popular for Micro Four Thirds. And many people love them. Josh, for example, I think you've owned all of the primes at one point or another, haven't you? Yep. Still have the 15. The Semolux, but it's F17, which is really weird. Right. <laughs> Isn't Semolux supposed to be F14? Yeah. Someone screwed up on that. Probably a typo. Well, they were the... just being optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Leica terminology has always been a little bit obscure. And yeah, in, in the M system, Semolux usually means 1.4. But yeah, here they're just doing things differently, I guess. They made an exception. Yeah. So anyway, the new <laughs> zooms, they are all variable aperture. I think they go to f2.8 at the wide end and down to f4 at the long end. But I also cannot really say which focal lengths they are. Okay. We should probably look for that. Yeah, I mean, my my I remember reading the, the uh, press release and my impression was that this was going to be a new set of more consumer-oriented um, zooms. Like, they, they have very sensible focal ranges. Like, that, that part is fine. But um, what I was expecting was that Panasonic might try to put out their own, or, like, introduce their own equivalent to the Olympus Pro lens line. Right. Um, but it looks like they've not done that. And and my expectation was not that they would try and compete with uh, Olympus in terms of the photographic performance, but that they would try and make um, cinematically focused lenses um, just to, again, sort of push their their positioning as the video side of the Micro Four Thirds right. equation. And anyway, th- these are probably going to be great for video. Yeah, but that's odd because here I, I found the exact focal ranges. Okay. It's an eight, eight millimeter to 18. Okay. Uh, and the aperture goes, yeah, from f2.8 to f4. Then there's a 12 to 60 and a 50 to 200. All right. Those are very, very useful ranges and very compelling, uh, very compelling lenses overall. But the fact that they're variable aperture makes them a little bit weird for video, doesn't they? Doesn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly makes them less uh, predictable for the kinds of... Well, I mean, it depends on, on how you're using them, but yeah, it's certainly not the kind of lens that I would want to be using for the kind of videography that we typically do. So right. uh, yeah, it's it's just not... That, and that's what I was expecting, and maybe it was unrealistic because they probably, being in the same system, they look at the Olympus Pro lenses and they're like, well, okay, we don't really need to compete with that, right? Like there, we there's other parts of this... Uh, of this landscape that we can fill in the blanks for. And I guess this is their way of doing that. It's it's not a bad thing. I just, uh, to me, this is not a particularly interesting trio of lenses. I don't know. Josh, do you, like, is this at all of interest to you as a as a micro four thirds enthusiast like the rest of us? Guys, the, I admit that this is the first I've even heard of them. So that shows how much I've been excited about There them. you go. That's the answer. <laughs> well, I'm sure many people are in uh, Many people in Panasonic haven't heard of them either because they're, uh, in the stand of, at Photokina, they had they had messages under each lens, and the eight to eighteen millimeter says under development, the twelve to sixty says under development, but the fifty to two hundred says under study. Oh, so okay. maybe they're still looking for it. Maybe they they lost it and they're, they're trying to find it. I don't know. Well, that's promising. Let's hope the study turns out. Uh, good results. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we're gonna announce it before it hits, before it's past yeah. the R and D phase. Yeah. It's, just, it's more like a question. It's, it's like oh, we're yeah, announcing yeah. this lens. Is that good? We don't know. <laughs> oh, it's like a survey. So anyway, on the other side of the fence, the much much greener side of the fence, Olympus also announced announced a bunch of new lenses. So why don't we go over those? You want to do lenses first? All right, let's do lenses first. Ooh, ooh these ones I've heard of, guys. Okay, so we have a very, very nice portrait prime. Well, standard prime, but I guess it doubles as a nice portrait, as a nice portrait lens too, which is the 25 millimeter f 1.2 Pro lens. Uh, this is the this is the fastest lens for the Micro Four Thirds system, together with the Leica Nocticron, right? It is the 42.5 millimeter. Yep. Autofocus, autofocus, because oh you've yeah, got of, those, course, uh, of course, of course. Voigtlander primes yep. are are all faster. Yeah, they don't count. And then there's also the 12 to 100 millimeters f1 f uh, sorry f 4.0, which is also a pro lens, and it's just such a 
a, an incredibly wide focal range that I can't believe they pulled it off. Really, this lens breaks my mind. Yeah, it is. It is unprecedented. I don't think there's ever been a lens with this kind of focal range at this kind of optical quality. And I say that having seen some sample photos because they're beginning to trickle out. Uh, you know, Olympus has their their visionaries and their trailblazers and whatever else they call their, uh, you know, their sort of sponsored photographers who've been um, putting the pre-production units through their paces. And man, oh man, the images coming out of these two lenses are blowing my mind. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, well, and of course, again, with a grain of salt, because this is an officially sponsored post from Olympus. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the Robin Wong reviews when when he used to do those. Yeah. <laughs> These are totally my own views, but I this um, camera is the best ever yeah. created. Wow. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is so take it with the grain of salt, but the pictures themselves are amazing, really. Yeah, I mean, at they the end of the phenomenal. day, the pictures don't lie. It doesn't matter what the words say. The, those those photographs right. are coming out of an exceptionally made lens. Exactly. So right now I'm looking at this. It, I'm not sure. If I'm gonna. I'm sure I'm gonna insult this gentleman, but is Buchan Grant? Is that right? That's what I was assuming. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Good. So he's got a, an article here that he, he tested both of these two lenses down in Havana, Cuba, and like just the first image alone is like wow. Yeah. Right. Wow. Pin 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 sharp. Like sharper than I don't know. You could probably like. And the focus fall off, and the the just the the micro contrast. That's oh, yeah. the it's just wonderful, wonderful rendering. And obviously, you know, in the hands of a good photographer, of course, they're going to look good. Right. But still, these are these are like the kinds of images that people would normally be like, ah, oh, this is why we shoot full frame because we can get images like this. And these are the kind, yeah. of, you know. Meanwhile, this is a micro four thirds lens. Um, and by the way, just an interesting uh, technical note. Apparently, it's the most complex design in the entire micro four thirds ecosystem. It's um, it's got nineteen different optical elements in fourteen groups, and that's the twenty five wow. pro. Yeah, so that's why it's so big. Um, and that's a lot of glass. Yeah, and it is big. It is big. We should find that tweet that yeah. we saw before. It's huge. Like uh, twice. What, what, what lens did it, was it up beside? It was beside one of those Voigtlander lenses, right? And it was like almost twice yeah. the size. So this is right. definitely not going to be one of those lenses that you buy because you want a compact system. It is like the pinnacle of of like native optical quality within Micro Four Thirds at this point, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not sure that there's any lens that is going to compete with it. Maybe the 75. Yeah, perhaps. And yeah. to be to be quite honest, I I kind of expected this this type of quality from Olympus at this point. Yeah. Because they've taken some time to really develop the lens well. And they've raised the bar for themselves so much in the past that they couldn't now release a, a subpar lens. They It just, it, it wouldn't fit within the lineup. And this lens has been rumored for quite a while. Right. So you're exactly. right. Like they, it's exactly. been under development. And for if, a they're, long, long if they're going to F1.2 for the first time, they're going to be make sure to nail it. Absolutely nail it. So the 25, I totally get. It's a gorgeous lens, but I'm not. it's not really that surprising. The, the one that really is surprising is the 12 to 100 because it's also incredibly sharp. And I don't know how much correction uh, Buchan Grant has applied to his pictures, but there, there doesn't appear to be any distortion either, which is perhaps the most impressive thing about the lens. Yeah, that's the part that, that I, mean, I was... It's way too early... It's way too early to judge because we haven't seen any actual pictures taken in a controlled situation. But the results that we're starting to see out there are very, very promising. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And just the the engineering effort, because if anything, I would have expected this lens to be gigantic and unwieldy, but it's it's actually quite compact given that focal range. So we were talking about this on on Slack, but this is like... You know, you take this 12 to 100 Pro and you've got yourself a killer travel lens, like one lens that can do yeah, just travel about Travel should be written anything. in the name. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's exactly. like, it's it's perfect for travel. Um, exactly. And I'm, I'm also just on a, on a sort of tangent here. I'm really glad that Olympus is pushing the Pro lens line just in general, regardless of what they put in there. Because those three zooms were, you know, the holy trinity. And the fact that they're adding to that and they're uh, really investing in the top end of their product line, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm very happy to see that, especially as someone who uh, has used Olympus in a professional context. I mean, I think all of us are 
you know, would be happy to see them succeed there, despite um, certain doubts that we've brought up in, in previous episodes about whether or not that's where they should be focusing for the long term. Um, I maintain that it is. And I'm glad to see them do right. it. Well, every single pro lens is solid, right? Like 7 to 14, 12 to 40, uh, 40 to 150, 300 millimeter. Now the 25, the 12 to 100 and an 8 millimeter fisheye. Like I've tried five of the eight there and five of the eight, four of the seven, whatever. They're all like you exactly said. Every single lens is like, there's like a line, like a bar that's right. set. And every single one of them like is, is yep. better than that bar. And what I find, what I find it, most promising about it is that for the first time, they're now daring to go to really wide apertures because they've, up until now, they had been very conservative. They had pushed the build quality. They had, they had pushed the image quality, but they hadn't really pushed the aperture factor, the speed factor. Now, if they're confident and they're willing to go to f1.2, I can only imagine what they're going to bring out next. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be great. But we should get to the main event because those are the lenses. But yeah, because at the end of the day, these lenses have to go onto a camera, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Nicely done. So, yeah. So uh, this is what's tempting me, guys. Um, Olympus announced the EM1 Mark II. And it like largely like off the top, it looks kind of like what we would expect, more or less. You know, it got all the improvements that everybody was kind of expecting. Um, so I'll just like read some of them off here. It's got a 20.4 megapixel sensor. So it's a boost uh, in by four megapixels over the original EM1. It comes with a new TruePic 8 processor. Uh, it comes with one stop of better dynamic range, expanded ISO to 25,600, a larger battery, an articulating screen, improved in-body image stabilization up to five and a half stops, which guys is like even better. I can't believe than yeah, the other one. Yeah, they squeezed another little bit of performance out of that somehow. Unbelievable. And then in combination with any of the image, sta the lens stabilization systems that they've got in the 300 millimeter and now the 12 to 100, uh, they're saying up to six and a half stops of compensation. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, like I said before, if you need six and a half stops of stabilization in your photography, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> but it's good to have it there. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't exactly. hurt. Um, what else we got? We got a brand new shutter rated for 300,000 actuations. Um, they've got there and then the rest of these stats are like mind boggling. So they've got 18 frames per second, uh, with autofocus burst and that's in raw. So that would, I would assume that a new buffer is in there, like a higher increased buffer capacity. Oh, correct? Yeah. Has to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in single autofocus mode, you can shoot up to video speeds, like 60 frames per second. That's so insane. They can, and that's with electronic shutter, right? And that's in raw as well. Yeah, that's just video, raw video. That's what that is. It's it, it's it's nuts. <laughs> exactly. Um, what else am I forgetting here, guys? It looks like they've got an uh, improved um, electronic viewfinder up to 120 frames per second uh, and 121 cross-type autofocus points. So that's phase detection and contrast detection. That's what that means, right? Between no, when the cross-type cross means that it's sensitive to horizontal and vertical um, exactly. contrast stuff. It's it's basically <laughs> so they they've got 121 uh, autofocus points and all of them are cross type. Typically, what you have is is like they'll they'll have the center ones be cross type, um, but in this case, they just said ah screw it, we'll just make all of them cross type because why not? And they also have phase detect on the sensor. So this autofocus system to me sounds like it's going to be uh, certainly in the running for the best in the mirrorless world. Uh, all of the mirrorless world, including the Sony's, including the Fuji's. So I cannot wait to start seeing, uh, you know, reviews that that put this to the test against the competition. Because on paper, it sounds like a remarkable autofocus system. Right. Uh, you know, the, the demos that they showed obviously are very impressive. Uh, but to me, I'm just so glad that essentially all of the little boxes that I wanted them to check off are are checked off like i i wanted i I, for, I forgot one guys like dual sd card slots yeah um slightly improved ergonomics which i can't believe are improved because they were already incredible but they are improved um, they are improved really okay well yeah. take it away from here alvaro you've had your hands on the on the dirty little machine already. i have i actually have i i could get a few minutes with it yesterday uh towards the end of the day uh very nice olympus gentleman uh, showed the camera to me and let me play with it for a while. Unfortunately, since the firmware still isn't final, I couldn't get my own memory card inside, so I, I couldn't take away any pictures from the session. But basically, as a test of the, the physical object that, that the M1 Mark II is, 
I was blown away. And, and it's hard to believe, but they actually sensibly improved the build quality. It's much more solid. The grip is deeper. Is deeper. It's much more comfortable to hold. And the dials are still incredible, the best in the business. I have to say the Olympus dials and buttons are just the best, bar none. And generally speaking, I just loved handling the camera, uh, taking it in my hand, pushing every button. It, it felt great. Yeah. Now, as far as performance goes, it is a beast. It is incredible. Like the 18 frame per second uh, mode, uh, the, the Olympus gentleman actually removed the lens and showed me the naked shutter so that I would actually see it. And it's crazy fast. I mean, it's the, the, the burst is just super quick. Yeah. And it never stops. It never slows down. I don't know what the hell they're doing. I don't know if they managed to write the data as fast as the camera is able to generate it, but the camera can shoot in burst mode forever. Basically. That's ridiculous. They must honestly. They must require a certain like category of card to pull that off. But even so, the fact that that's possible is is amazing. It means that they've put really deep buffers in, and they're able to just get that data through the buffer and onto the card uh, fast enough that it just doesn't matter. Right. And and another new feature that you guys did mention is that the high resolution mode has also been improved. Now it can shoot. Well, I, I think the resolution is the same. It can shoot up to fifty megapixel. Uh, images by using the built-in image stabilization system to shift the sensor one pixel in each direction and then taking all that data and bundling it together, they managed to create a picture that is effectively almost well over twice as big yeah. as the native sensor resolution. But the problem that this system had on the original uh, camera when it was released, I believe it was the EM5, EM5 Mark II, is that it only worked when you were using a tripod and on static subjects. Because any kind of movement, be it in the camera or the subject, would ruin the picture. Well, now they've managed to, it still requires a tripod, but they've managed to make the system smart enough to compensate for slight subject movement. So if you're taking a picture, for example, of a field of grass that is slowly moving with the wind, the camera can actually compensate for that and the grass would end up looking perfectly still in the picture. And that's, I, don't, I also don't know how they managed to do that, but it, I, I saw it, I, they demoed it for me and it's incredible. Well, all on its own, so, that makes the mode useful because uh, previously that was essentially only good for studio portraiture and still life, basically. Um, whereas now suddenly that opens up the entire realm of landscape photography, which is something that I know a lot of people wanted to use right. the high resolution mode for. And I mean, it works if you kind of don't look at it too closely, right? Right. But as soon as you start peeking at, you know, like one-to-one -one at those images, you start seeing the artifacts, especially like you said, in the grass, in the leaves, in the water, especially. And if they've managed to eliminate those artifacts, then that's, that's amazing. I mean, I, I know a lot of people had this, hope that they would manage to make it so that it works uh, handheld. And I think that was a little unrealistic, maybe. Um, right. Or, or, or even even if they'd made it work handheld, I think that that's less valuable than this, right? I mean, this is almost like more of an algorithmic thing than a pure hardware thing. But regardless of, of how they've managed to accomplish it, it, it makes that feature that much more useful. And uh, I, yeah, I, I look forward to trying it out, especially side by side with something like the EM5 Mark II right. or the Pen F, which also has it and also has a 20 megapixel sensor. I guess that would be the closest uh, point of comparison. Yeah, yeah, probably. So another thing that really caught my eye and that it, it was really, really something was the viewfinder. They've also improved it like a lot. It now goes up to 120 frames per second with a six millisecond delay, which is perhaps the most important part. The human eye for reference cannot detect anything that's under 15 milliseconds. So they are almost twice as fast as the human eye can detect any type of delay. Yeah. In practice, what this means is that this is just like looking through an optical viewfinder. There's no delay at all. And that together with the higher refresh rate means you can use it for anything, for action, for sports, for whatever you want. And also that even if you're in a, in a room with artificial light, it'll, it's so fast that the flickering of the light 
is not a problem at all. Oh, right. And if you've ever shot with a normal viewfinder uh, in a room uh, with uh, light bulbs, basically, you get a flicker in your pictures that's very annoying. And when you're looking through the viewfinder, it can really be distracting. I didn't even think of that as a like a consequence of this, but that you're right. That's that's quite an important thing because they used to have like an anti-flicker or a flicker reduction thing in the settings that you'd have to turn on. Um, but this, yeah, you're right. This would just completely eliminate it. And so is the, this is something that wasn't clear to me from the press stuff. Um, is the 120 frames per second just the default? Like that's the only option or is it kind of like the, uh, Fuji X-T2 where there's a boost mode that actually puts it there and the standard is a little lower, but better for battery life? I am not sure about that. I guess you can configure it. Yeah. I mean, that would make the most sense, but I'm not sure. Right. I haven't, I know that the camera was operating at 120 when I used it. But I don't know if that's the default or you have to set it up in the menus or whatever. I have I have no idea. Yeah. There is no power boost scrape or anything like that. Well, yeah, that's just it. And that's that's the cool thing to me is that they've managed to bake this performance just into the default camera. You, there's no other right. thing required. This is just how fast this thing is. And the battery is big, like a lot bigger, really, than the, the, the ones they used to to have in the EM1. Right. Did they say anything this about what it does? Because I, I, I think the, the spec is that it's like 37 percent higher capacity but did they say anything about what that actually translates into in terms of uh like usage time no they they didn't say that they didn't say the battery is 37 percent higher capacity they said it lasts 37 percent longer oh, okay I okay think. so i misunderstood that then so that's how you can get that's how you can get a basic uh estimation of the number of shots you can expect to get out of it Okay. Yeah, that's I mean even that is an improvement. And we we were talking about this on yesterday's episode about Sony that I'm I'm waiting for someone to just get us out of this terrible battery life zone in mirrorless and uh it sounds like Olympus is is finally introducing a new battery. Hopefully it's going to be, you know, a meaningful improvement in practice because that would be uh a, a huge factor in their favor for someone who's considering an EM1 Mark II for professional work, you know, not having to switch batteries so much is is uh, you know, that would be quite Quite important, right? Definitely, and just to to be clear, the twenty the twenty megapixel sensor in the EM1 Mark II, it may look similar in specs to the one in the Pan F or the or the what was the other camera that had it? One recently? of the Panasonics, the G80 or GX85 or whatever. Yeah, that one. Right. So even it even if the specs are similar, this is a completely new sensor, and when it's different from the others, is especially in the read speeds that that is capable of that's what makes possible the insane burst rates that this camera can do so they really worked hard at getting the readout speeds to be just remarkably fast right yeah it seems like their their mandate for this entire project was just to make it fast like it is a speed demon on every possible spec where speed matters uh which is great i mean that's that's quite the priority and the fact that they can also say we're lighter than the other cameras which is always micro four thirds is i guess best selling feature or mo most uh you know obvious selling feature i mean that's that's really impressive um i i was glad to see that they made the grip bigger though because i remember um the em1 with the uh with the additional grip that was about perfect for, for my hand like that just that was a very uh comfortable feeling uh, camera, but of course you have the added bulk of the grip. So now if they've managed to make it that comfortable without you needing an additional grip, then that's perfect. Like that's just right. ergonomically, that would be uh, my ideal. The, the only thing that bothered me is that they don't have a um, focus point selection joystick on it. Right, right. I did ask and they told me that they couldn't, they couldn't get it in time. Uh, I don't know if that was true or if it was just being polite. Right. Because I've I've noticed people don't like being asked these things. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Go figure. What can we do? Yeah, but that's the yeah. only like looking at it uh, again. I I I'm not there. I have no hands on time. But just looking at at what we know about it, that's the one thing that stands out in my mind as um, a problem. But you know what? Honestly, given the uh, given the accuracy of their touchscreen technology for autofocus point selection, I guess I could use that instead. Uh, it's it's sort of a different right, workflow. Right, that's basically but, what he, yeah. yeah. That's basically what he said. He said, why would you want a joystick when you can touch the screen wherever you want the camera to focus yet? And I said, yeah, well, whatever. He actually- yeah, well, it doesn't work He as actually well. <laughs> told me, and he, was, he wasn't joking, he actually told me that the touch screen had been optimized to recognize your nose as input. 
okay. <laughs> Why? Either, either, either that man had the best poker face I've ever seen in my life, or he was actually serious. So I, I'm not sure. At this point, I, I really can't say. But he actually told me, you can select the focus point with your nose. I don't know what to believe anymore. That's, I, <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? I mean, that's obviously the, the one area where you'd want to have uh, the joystick is when your eye is to that beautiful EVF and you don't want to have to pull away just to select something, right? That's that's kind of the... Exactly. I'm just trying to figure out how you would maneuver your nose. You well, have you to can't, maneuver the you camera. You can't see what you're doing anyway, nose. right? Like, that's not the problem. The nose <laughs> sensitivity was not a problem that needed fixing, but <laughs> okay. Please, please email the Olympus guys and ask. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... <laughs> wow. <laughs> So anyway, who's who's getting one? Oh, who's getting one? I think Josh is getting one, right? He's putting a pre-order in. Yeah. Whoa, 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 yeah, guys, come on, don't, don't, don't say that. <laughs> we didn't say it. You said it. Oh man, is it tempting though? I shouldn't say like tempting. It's just that it's it, it fixes like everything that was wrong with with the original EM one, and it it's everything that I wanted in a camera. You know, back in January when I had to make a split second decision on how to get a high re higher resolution camera. So, yeah, it fixes all of that. And here I am now thinking like, oh, <laughs> you know, if I don't sell my A7 II now, I just give it two weeks and a new Sony camera is going to come out. So, you know, that'll take a hit. And yeah. Well, I mean, the, the <sighs> question the question Lots you have to ask to yourself do. is, um, would there be anything in Sony's, you know, sequel that would compel you to stay or are you still tempted? You know, like is is the problem a technical one, or is it that you prefer the Olympus ergonomics and the Olympus, uh, you know, shooting experience overall? In which case, the Sony adding, you know, their crazy new sensor technology or whatever else they'll do wouldn't really make a difference because it's not solving the problem that you have. Yeah, you know, you're. I think you're exactly right. Um, picking up an Olympus camera. This is why, like, we've had this discussion on this podcast before. We all probably would agree that micro four thirds, the sensor technology is like, it's a really hard thing to justify in the long run, but everything else about an Olympus camera is probably the best in business. I, I mean, once people have used an EM one or an EM five Mark two or whatever, like very often they walk away with thinking like, why can't I have this camera with the set, the Sony sensor inside or, or a Canon sensor yeah, inside right. or whatever. Right. So, you know, the other factor in my decision right now is the fact that Sony is so stinking expensive. Whatever camera comes out is going to be, you know, this A7R2 is still selling for like 3500 Canadian right. dollars, brand new. And it's, I don't know how old it is now, if it's a year, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's not new technology anymore. And it's still expensive and everything is going to be expensive, expensive, expensive. Olympus these lenses that came out, you know, they're right in the middle of the range of the pro range. And that pro range has been those prices now for two or three years. So it's just, it's a more accessible system. It's a more like, it's a more fun system, shoot more ergonomic system, but like it doesn't have the Sony sensor. Right. Oh, so yeah, that's what this, this whole thing comes down to. And for what it's worth, I do think the most important factor are the lenses always because ergonomics and buttons and the way a camera feels, even the menus, those are all things that are, that are easily fixable and that should be solved over time. If you if you're stick with the system, eventually you're going to get a camera body that is just better. And don't underestimate Sony's ability to create such a camera because they've already done it with the A99 Mark II. That thing is solid as a rock. And the buttons and the build quality, it is spectacular. It's like jo built. Jordan... Jordan from TCS TV or uh, the camera store TV. What did he say today? It's the A99 II is an amazing camera, but it's the wrong mount. <laughs> exactly. He said he yeah. said exactly that. Yeah, on Twitter, I remember. And and it, it's the truth. It's it's a fantastic camera, and I was blown away by the build quality and by everything about it. So Sony can do a camera like that if they do it with the E mount. It's going to be incredible. But at the end of the day. It's also going to cost $5,000. Yeah, whatever it ends up costing. At the end of the day, what I mean... <laughs> whatever. That's a lot of money. No, what I mean so, is the body, a lot the of body is irrelevant. <laughs> what you should worry about is the lenses. And 
which system offers all the lenses those are that you expensive. see yourself using long term. <laughs> because you're going to switch bodies every three years at the most. But the lenses, you're in it for the long run. All good arguments, no doubt about it. Doesn't make my thinking process any easier. Well, just to throw another wrench into the work, speaking of you know the, the long-term value of investing in a system, um, the other announcement that flew under the radar a little bit, but is, is just as important, I think, uh, is that Olympus has announced their pro service. Oh, right. And uh, right, right. we talked about this, actually, um, one of the um, big factors in our mirrorless versus DSLR argument was the fact that Canon and Nikon, you're not just sort of buying into a system of, of equipment, you also have a, a service um, component that is very valuable to working professionals because you know that you can get a camera if, uh, you know, a repair very quickly or replacement or whatever it is. So anyway, Olympus has announced that they're doing the same thing, sort of. Um, my understanding is that there's going to be three different tiers. They didn't outline too specifically what uh, those tiers would involve, but essentially it's available only for the EM1 Mark II so far. That's that's sort of one limit. Um, and the idea is that uh, you get next day shipping for a replacement body if anything goes wrong and sort of the, the usual things that you would expect from a service plan. Uh, what I didn't like about it is that not only is it limited to the EM1 Mark II, but they're launching it in 17 countries uh, within Europe only, and they currently have no plans to expand to another continent. That's what they told someone uh, at the show. So to me, that's kind of frustrating because obviously I'm not in Europe, uh, and I also see it as a... Can you hear me crying from all, all the way over yeah, there? Yeah, I know. You're playing your tiny violin for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's Oh, but come on. For for once that we in Europe get, the, get to enjoy a feature from a major tech company, you in America get these things all the time. Like every new Apple feature, every new whatever company, they all release their features in the US first, then Canada, because you guys are closer. And it takes forever to trickle down to Europe. Now, for one time that we get something first. Oh, come on. No, I'm. I, you are absolutely right. The part that upsets me about it is not that it's launching in Europe, but the fact that they said they have no plans to expand beyond that. Yeah, that's like the iPhone being launched in the United States and Canada. And sorry, dude, yeah. you don't get it in Spain. Exactly. That's Never. the part that frustrates me. And it might be, you know, the... the... <laughs> that, but, but that happened already. Yeah, I suppose it did. It happened with the original iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is this is a good thing though. I, I'm not. I don't mean to come off as critical here. I'm just you know annoyed and being petulant because I wanted it to launch here as well. But uh, you know, I'm sure eventually it will. And maybe the gentleman just misspoke, and it is in fact planned to be launched elsewhere as well. It's just not going to come anytime soon. So they didn't want to raise people's hopes. That's fine. You know, maybe it's just a pilot project to see how it goes within Europe, and then they'll kind of refine it and bring it to North America, South America, and so on from there. That's that's all well and good. I just, I was frustrated because it was like, yes, perfect. That's uh, that's amazing to hear, but it sounds like I'm not going to get to take advantage of it for who knows how right. long. Right, and it, so. it makes total sense that they're eventually going to expand it worldwide, and but they have to start somewhere. And uh, I also get that if, if they prefer not to comment on when or how or if they're going to expand this is just them playing their cards close to their chest yeah. so to speak yeah, it's totally reasonable and it makes totally sense. reasonable it makes like sense. i said i'm yeah. just being childish <laughs> i just like teasing you i know i know uh speaking of teasing though yeah enough enough of the follow-up let's get to the main the most important announcement of the entire photo <laughs> keynote. all right alvaro hit it well we have a new micro four thirds player in the industry so olympus is lead with the AM1 Mark II might prove to be short-lived. Uh, there's a new incredible camera uh, announced in the market. They announced it uh, yesterday at Photokina. It's the EM1. And it's just like a Leica, only in micro four-thirds. And by the way, that's, that that's Y as in Y-I-M1. Oh, yeah, because I heard EM1, too, and I'm like, what? <laughs> it's another EM1. No, but even... <laughs> Definitely a new player. <laughs> even that is funny, the fact that it you know, it sounds like the uh, Olympus flagship, but it looks like a Leica. I mean, it just straight up, if if you had told me that Leica has gone into the Micro Four Thirds realm, I would be like, oh, yeah, that looks genuine. Exactly. Um, so that, yeah, this camera is actually... Uh, so first of all, it's it's... My understanding is that it's releasing in China only, and for for now, there's no word on whether or not it will be available elsewhere. Uh, but it's actually quite a good camera on paper. It's got you know 4K video recording. I think they've got the 20 megapixel sensor 
in there. Um, and it looks like a very attractive camera. Like just physically, it's it's got a very handsome build. So yeah. I, I think that's it's great. And just seeing another player entering into the uh, into the Micro Four Thirds realm is is nice. I mean, that hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, and and of course it's it's all plastic. It's not weather sealed or anything. But the the key thing about it is that it's going. It's supposed to cost under three hundred dollars with a lens included. Right. So that's a really really cheap price. And they have two different kit lens options, right? There's a 45 or 42.5 millimeter prime. And then F18, yeah. And then there's also, I forget the, the focal range, but it's a zoom. It's like a kit zoom. 12 to 60. Okay, there you go. So that's kind of nice. I, I like that, uh, you know, being able to choose which kind of kit lens you would like. And I, I wouldn't expect too much from those lenses. Again, given the price point, we're, we're not dealing with. Uh, you know, anything that Olympus's pro line has to worry about, but who cares, right? Like this is, that's the whole point of the micro four thirds ecosystem is that yeah. you've got options for everybody. And now suddenly there's a whole new set of options and I wish them the best of luck. Honestly, I think it's, I think it's great. And I hope that they do make their way across the pond uh, or even across the, you know, continents to Europe and so on so that we can get our hands on um, one of them and just, you know, try them out, see, see what $300 buys you. Yeah. By the way, the the zoom lens is a twelve to forty, not twelve to sixty. Okay, I got it. Yeah. So there you go. It's it it's really looking like an impressive value, and if it holds up well uh, under under actual use, this is going to be tough to beat. Definitely, it's gonna it's gonna find a market. Now, here's the important question, and I'm going to ask you, Alvaro, because not only are you at the show, but you are the resident micro four thirds skeptic of the show. Um, given what you've seen, given what you've seen uh, this week in the ecosystem, you know, sort of broadly, not just Olympus, but but everybody, um, how are you feeling about Micro Four Thirds' future? Because we've discussed before that chances are these cameras are the ones that are going to sustain it for the next, you know, two three years at least. Um, and sort of now that we're seeing a, a clear trajectory from each company, and we know what their headlining project uh, products are going to be. How do you feel about the system? Like, what's what's your current impression? Are you feeling a little better? Are you a little more, uh, you know, relaxed that they're going to be fine? Or do you still think that they are going in the wrong direction or under too much threat to be able to sustain themselves? Well, I think my position hasn't changed uh, much because what I'm seeing is that the entire industry is sort of raising the bar. Right. And yes, Micro Four Thirds is definitely raising the bar perhaps a little bit faster or perhaps a little bit more this time. But I sort of feel like Sony, for example, didn't release any new mirrorless cameras. Uh, so I, I kind of feel like they're a generation behind at this point. And that has the effect of making the difference, the gap in image quality seem uh, closer than it actually should be, right. if that makes sense. So the problem that Micro Four Thirds uh, faces in the long term I believe still applies, which is that when people buy a camera or when people buy into a system, they're not buying in a vacuum. They, they The natural tendency is to compare your different options and then choose the one that hits the best. I don't know if it's pure quality or price or size or weight. Each person has their own preferences, right? And the problem with that is that, yes, Micro Four Thirds has already gotten good enough for most people's actual needs. But those same people, when when are trying to choose their next camera, they're not going to think about it in those terms. They're going to think, for my money, what can I buy? Which system offers me the most bang for my buck, so to speak? So it's almost a, a psychological issue at this point because the cameras are great, the sensors are great, the images are great. Basically, you cannot buy a bad camera anymore today. Whatever you end up buying is going to be able to give you great images and it's going to give you all the control you need. But the gap is always going to be there. And every time a person has to make a, a choice and spend their money, I still think other systems offer more for for the money that they ask. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. What about you, Josh? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. It's going to be a really hard few months <laughs> not knowing what to do. Well, you're actually a, a perfect case study for this, right? Because you you went from Micro Four Thirds to the, the pinnacle of camera technology 
you know, technically speaking, which which is Sony. But recently you've been, you know, complaining that you haven't felt as inspired to go out and shoot. So I'm wondering if the gap that's actually important in the long run is not the technical gap, but the experiential gap, right? Because ultimately the most important thing is that the camera inspires you to go out and mm-hmm. take photos, right? Because mm-hmm. a photo that you don't take can be 50 megapixels. It doesn't matter. If it's not taken in the first place, it's it's not there. There's nothing, right? At least if you go out and you take photographs, you're doing something, you're you're inspired. And that, to me, I mean, that's, that's sort of why I've always ha- prioritized that over raw technical specs within reason because it, it's more meaningful. But now you're sort of stuck because... You've got all of the technical performance that you could want in terms of raw image output quality, but you're not going out and shooting. And now you're tempted by the M1. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I have to say, like, I from the get go, I think the very first thing I said to you guys was that I hated the way this camera felt, the Sony, right? Like yeah. I, I've run from the very start. I, I haven't liked the way it, it felt. I haven't liked, you know, how slow it is to start up or how the, the shutter sound or, so I think I've been fairly open about my dislikes about it. Um, but I, like for me, it, 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 that raw file, I don't know. I feel like it's like this golden little treasure that I can't let go of. So yeah, you're right. Like what good is the sensor if I don't actually shoot it? And I've never been so bored with photography in my entire life. And I look over at the Olympus camera and I just think, oh, I just want to touch it, <laughs> you know? So anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll just stop talking about me and I'll just sit here in the corner doing more research and, and have you guys pull me in different directions. And all the while knowing that if I buy a camera before Christmas, I lose some sort of bet that I don't even know what I, what I lose if I, if I do that. So yeah, don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> The nice part is this, uh, the EM1 Mark II comes out in early 2017, right? So no matter what, if I buy the EM1 Mark II, I can't lose. Remember that pre-orders count. Exactly. And if you decide to buy it before <laughs> Christmas, it should also count because the only reason you're not what? buying it is because you physically can't. Wait, is there like a contract with this bet? Did you guys have a lawyer no, do this I, up I or what? I think being very reasonable. That sounds like a logical clause to me so no it makes sense (laughs) right because if if the em1 mark ii was available today there's no way you would wait until after christmas to buy it (laughs) you know that (laughs) 